I wasn't quite sure what to expect going to the, into this interview with Grace because I really don't know much about therapy or inner healing or Christian therapy or anything like that. It's just never been in my in my wheelhouse. So I was pretty excited to get to have this interview with Grace and Katie because both of them, well, first of all, Grace is a Christian therapist and Katie, she does a lot of inner healing ministry and counseling, things that I don't do much. I'm, I am a revivalist. I'm a missionary. I, I, I preach. And so I don't do a lot of this kind of inner healing or, or all of that, that, that kind of uh, this whole other realm in the Christian world, this whole other stream. And so I was really interested in, in doing this interview with Grace. And I got to say, I learned a lot. I, I was able to ask questions myself. It was funny because I was there with Katie, of course, to interview Grace. And I had my own questions about it because there are things that I just didn't know. And it's really, really powerful what, what Grace is doing and also Katie as well. She has her own podcast as well, which we get into uh, in this interview. And she had the, the reason for the title on this one is because in her podcast, she always starts with like the, you know how in the Friends episodes, it would say the one where this happens or the ones where that happens. That's what Grace does in her podcast. So that's the reason for the, the title in this interview. But it's really, you know, Grace, she's a very smart person. She She's done a lot of studies and uh, it's... Some of it kind of goes over my head. Things that I I hear, and I'm like, um, it, this is this is all new to me. And so I, it left me with a lot of questions. Maybe you want to learn more. And I hope you feel the same way. And you may already know a lot of this stuff. And for you, it may just be something a reminder, things that will lift you up and and just show how Jesus he cares about ministry. Isn't just preaching. Ministry is all the different walks of life in the Lord. And the Lord has all these different callings on us. People are called to all different kinds of things all sorts of walks of life and Grace is called to Christian therapy and she's clearly very good at it. She knows what she's doing and it's just absolutely fascinating to me to hear how God is moving in that whole sphere. So I know you're going to enjoy one other thing. The Threads of Revival e-course is live and we are still having for a very short time this special where if you sign up for our newsletter, you will receive a promo code that will give you 50% off the, the course. It's We're talking 12 plus hours of high quality video. We're talking 20 plus years of just study on my own part. I've been teaching a lot of this stuff in missionary schools and all over the world. It is, I'm telling you, it is jam packed. There is no fat on this course, even though it's almost 13 hours long. It is all just solid, solid stuff that equips you to walk in the power of God, understand revival, understand how God has moved in common principles throughout the last 2000 years in church history. We look at all these different moves of God it's so powerful. It truly is, I believe, life-changing, and it sets up a platform, and it really equips you to walk in the revival power that there is revival coming to the States. It's coming, and this will equip you to walk in it. So with all that said, you're going to love this interview. Enjoy this interview with Grace. Hi. Oh my gosh. Hi. This is so fun. <laughs> no, I was like, wow, Katie and I have just been like on social media back and forth for so long. And this is so cool. And I hi, know. Alan. Hi. Nice <laughs> to meet you. Yeah. It was nice so pretty. He had just asked like, how'd you guys meet? And I was like, how did we meet? And um, I think we met at Amber Stolzfus's wedding like 10 years ago and just yeah. social media. <laughs> 
Yeah, which is wild, which is a very big pro of social media. Yeah. Um, I think you were at YWAM with Amber, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and did you visit Petra before she got married or that was when she was getting married? Yep, just that one time. <laughs> crazy, crazy. Yeah, but I've really enjoyed being social media friends with you. So wild <gasps> what God can do through that. It's true. Oh my gosh. So you're your social media friends on Instagram? Yeah, yeah. I probably another like Facebook or something too, but mostly Instagram. Yeah, I just did an interview yesterday with a guy. the The last interview that'll it'll come out before this one. His name is Gabe. We just met on TikTok. He started watching some of my videos. <laughs> we started talking, and I was like, "Hey, we should do an interview." And that was it, because that's how I get to know people. A lot of times, it's I, I love podcasts because it's one of the few formats, long form podcasts, where you can just sit down and just talk. Yeah, and just you just get to know people. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, and I also got to listen to one of your episodes, Alan, where you interviewed Katie. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was so cool to get to hear, like, because I've seen some of the stuff that you post, Katie, but like get to hear more of your story. It's really cool. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, there was a couple of things that I really loved. You said something um, along the lines of like, we choose what we depend on when we're suffering. And the more we depend on God, the more we're going to, you know, have skills and strength and uh, a prayer life that reflects that. I just thought that was so good and so true. Oh, thanks. Um, wow. That's so cool. Yeah. There was another was just... one that I really liked that you quoted or that you said. Oh, I just got, um, sorry, I'm, I'm paraphrasing um, that God, um, I was going to trust that God was going to bless my desire to bless other people. I just thought that was so cool because sometimes we like get hung up on like not doing things for God or for serving his people because we're not sure if he wants to do it, but like trusting that he's going to bless that. Yeah. yeah. I was actually just thinking as I was setting up all the stuff for this podcast that when we did your podcast, we had said we would, we would do a follow-up. So we need to do another follow-up where we just, we just talk on a podcast. Yeah. And it's what's, what's been happening in the last year since that interview yeah. happened. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's cool. I was just listening to your podcast last night. I was like, I'm gonna take a bath and listen to these therapists talk. And I was like, I'm ready for it. <laughs> and it was so good. I listened to the one on boundaries and I was like, oh, I needed that. <laughs> it was good. We all do. It's a hard one because we care about people, right? But mm -hmm. like even Jesus took time away from people. So he modeled that yeah. for us. Yeah, he did. Oh my yeah. gosh. Wow. Cool. So, I guess welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank <laughs> you just for like having me. In. Yeah, thank you for being willing to join us and kind of jump on the line with some kind of strangers. <laughs> you are all God's children, so. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. Um, mm -hmm. Do you want to share a little bit about the podcast or anything? Yeah, absolutely. So, the, the Revival Carriers podcast, I started this, I started in 2020. And I did it for most of the year of 2020. And it was really one of those things. I, I'm a talker and I love to just get to sit down and talk to people and hear their stories. So part of it was, I just wanted to hear people's stories. But the other part was I, well, she also, we lead a pretty small ministry, found ministries. It's a missionary organization. And whenever I was first starting found, myself and some other guys we traveled literally we flew around the world twice 
just going to all these different countries. We were in Nepal and Turkey and Iraq and all Thailand. And I discovered as I was going through that there are so many people because we kind of live in a, a world where there's a handful of really famous people that everybody listens to. And mm -hmm. then there are mil literally millions because there's 2.6 billion people who call themselves Christians. And there are millions and millions who are really doing things for the Lord. They're in revival. They're really, I, when I was in Nepal, I had to, I had to drive in a, be in a Jeep for six hours and then sit on top of a school bus for two hours going through these valleys, literally driving through rivers. And then we had to hike up a mountain to go to church because it's illegal to be a Christian there. You go to jail for six years. And right. so we go to church and I'm with this little group of pastors and I'm just asking their stories because that's what always has interested me my whole life. I am just asking, tell me that in every single one of these pastors, no one's ever going to know their name. They're probably never going to write a book. They're not famous, but every one of them had prayed for someone who was dead and they had come back to life, all of them. And so they had these wild stories. So I, I had kind of this revelation through these, these travels that, got, that God was taking me on that there are all of these people who are not necessarily famous, but they have stories that are region changing, life changing home changing stories so i just started interviewing people and i started i think my first interview i'm trying to remember who my first i think my first interview was with a housewife who was making a cooking book but it was like her ministry was she cooked and i didn't even know her at all i had met her husband at a conference and i just saw her facebook post that she was she was doing this this cooking book and i was like i just want to hear this lady's story because they have a special needs child and i was like what is it like to be a mother having a special needs child. They don't do, they don't have a ministry, but she has a special needs child. They have a, a this cookbook and that is how she serves the Lord. So what is that like? So I asked her and we talked for about an hour and she shared her story and I was just blown away. Like this is a woman and her husband who are just, they're on fire for Jesus and they have an incredible story. And from there we've had some, some more, well-known guests like we had brian simmons from the the passion translation bible and sam childers the the machine gun preacher that the, they made that movie about with george uh, what's his name gerard butler and uh, annie lobert right. from from <laughs> hookers for jesus like we've had some wild guests but at the same time i they're all just regular people who just mm -hmm. happen to love the lord so that's that's where it's gone that this podcast has come from and what we just continue to do Oh, that's so beautiful too. Cause I think there's so much like power in knowing someone's story and, mm -hmm. and we're so motivated by stories. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's really cool. I love the the passion that has been birthed for this podcast. Yeah. So, so on that note, mm -hmm. tell us your story. Well, I would say I really relate to wanting to know people's stories. I love getting to know people's stories. I feel like I learn from other people um, so much when I get to hear other people's stories. So a big part of why I um, am a therapist, so I am a marriage and family therapist, um, is because I love getting to hear people's stories. Um, and that's a big motivator for me. Um, so I live in Lancaster, PA, if you guys have ever heard of it. Um, no, I am not Amish, which is what most people ask me when they hear if they're not local, they're like, oh, are you Amish? I'm like, no, not, no, very much not. Um, 
and I um, am a marriage and family therapist. I graduated in 2018 from Lancaster Bible College, um, and currently I've been doing that for about four years. I just became a licensed professional counselor, which just means I'm licensed in the state. Um, and I am married to Derek. He is a youth pastor at Pine Grove Church. So we get to do all sorts of fun things with Gen Z and <laughs> they keep us hip and young and remind us that we're also old at the same time. <laughs> um, he loves it and he, God has just skilled him so much to be able to do that. And uh, I love watching him in that role and um, his passion for it. Um, yeah. And I also have a podcast right now called the whole mind podcast. And I love that. I love my friends who we just talk a lot about stuff in that and currently actually co-teaching at LBC too. Um, so that's a little bit about what I'm doing currently. Um, but yeah, there's a whole story of what brought me to that. I guess I could just dive into that. Bring it girl. All right. Um, so my family background was like a little rough. I um, did grow up in a church. Um, I went to Petra Church growing up um, in New Holland and they're really awesome church. They're a healing church. They do a lot of really great um, healing ministries and they equip a lot of people. So I was really benefit. I really benefited from being able to go to that church my whole life basically. Um, but my family had a lot of mental illness in it. Um, so my parents and my siblings, um, and so there was just a lot of like dysfunction because of that. Um, and I was, I am the youngest of four. So I got the benefit of observation, which I don't know is always talked about if you're a youngest, cause usually the cliche like stereotype is that you're spoiled, which I think I was a little bit like, I can't <laughs> Um, but I got to really get the benefit of observation and seeing what was healthy and what wasn't healthy, um, what was loving and what wasn't loving. Um, and I also really got to see that my family, broken as they were, were they also had their own wounds and suffering and painful backgrounds. And so as much as, you know, I had my own hurts and wounds and traumas from what I grew up in. I don't know, somehow, some way, God just always placed a compassion for my, my parents and um, some of my siblings and um, just really seeing them as people and understanding why they were doing what they were doing more than just seeing them as um, doing destructive things. And I just always had a heart for peacemaking too, um, which has pros and cons, um, but I always wanted um, that for my family too. So I think it's a lot like um, jo what Joseph says in Genesis, you know, what you intended, what the uh, enemy intended for evil, God used for good. And I just feel that so deeply for my life um, and for those that I sit with in the counseling office that no matter what you've gone through, no matter what pain you've been through, um, God's going to use it. He may not have intended it and willed it. I don't always believe that, um, I, but I do believe in his sovereignty that he doesn't waste it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a, a big reason what propelled me to um, 
go into uh, therapy to become a therapist because I just have this huge desire to understand people, have other people understand their loved ones um, and have healing and transformation um, through that. And I do that um, in the professional setting as a Christian counselor, um, but you can get therapy as a non-Christian counseling setting, but I just believe it's so much more powerful when Jesus is present and guiding um, the sessions and the tools that we use. So that's a big reason why um, I stepped into and, and felt called to um, start um, the profession, uh, which I'm in now. Yeah, that that's so true because I found that over, over the years, I found that God had, God created nature, God created human beings, God created everything. And in that there are laws that are going to work no matter what. That's why you can, we, we've talked about this in the past, mm -hmm. how you can have these, the, the rich and famous, they continue to grow wealthier by giving away huge portions of money. And it's that whole principle. Now I'm not a, you know, give a dollar and God will give you a million back. That's not, I'm not, I'm not that kind of person, but there is a truth that if you, sow, if you bless the Lord with your finances, he does bless you back. It just happens. So that that's a, a, a spiritual law. That's just going to happen no matter what. And there are a lot of other things like if, if in terms of therapy, if it's with a non, it's definitely going to be way more powerful with, of Jesus behind it. But if you have a non-believer, if they're working in those same principles, it can still work to an extent. Right. Um, I forget the quote by like A.W. Tozer, but he said, um, if it's revealed to have like the truth of God, then there's goodness in it. Um, and I think I, I use that a lot. You know, if I have friends or family members who are like, I'm not seeing a Christian therapist, but it's really helped me. And I feel like I have healing and freedom. And I'm like, Hey, that's okay. That's good. Um, but just personally for me, I, I have to use Jesus, you know, I have to bring him into the therapy setting. Um, and there are clients who hate God or don't want to talk about church or they're not there yet. And that's okay. I respect that. Um, but I very much value being able to bring my faith into my profession. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can speak more on that. Cause I know, maybe not so much now, but in the years leading up to where we're at now, there was a big conflict in the church about, well, if you just had faith, you wouldn't feel that way. Or if you just prayed more, it would go away. Or maybe it's a demon and it needs cast out. You need deliverance. Like, can you speak to that tension and where you see God at in the midst of it? Yeah, that's, I mean, a really good question. And it is certainly a controversy that we see in the church setting. Um, what I would call that is maybe spiritually bypassing, um, mm. like an emotional need or a physical need, um, which I think has good intentions. I think we as Christians want Jesus to be the center of it all. Um, but sometimes we try to bypass our humanity, um, because we don't know how to cope with our humanity sometimes. And we feel this urge from our wounds and our, our issues to be perfect. And that's not really what Jesus modeled for us in his humanity either. Um, so he modeled being a human being. He modeled limitations. He modeled 
boundaries like we were talking about earlier. Um, so he didn't bypass his humanity, even though he could have. Um, he was very capable to do that. So I think, um, you know, why Christians do that and why they have the controversy around that is because it's difficult to deal with their pain and to deal with their wounds. And sometimes it can feel easier to slap a verse on um, something that's really traumatic. Um, I would also add to that, um, there is a lot of weird psychology out there. <laughs> you know, there's like pop psychology. I don't know if you're familiar with Sigmund Freud, but like he was weird. Um, there's, there are some like weird things that psychology says that doesn't necessarily back up scripture. Um, so I do think that sometimes that makes like psychology and therapy get a bad rep. Um, you know, anything that is helping you to take your thoughts captive and uh, beat it to the obedience of God, Christ, or anything that's helping you to, uh, by the renewing of your mind, be transformed. You know, I think that is what is the goal of true um, therapy. Um, but I do think sometimes it, that takes discernment to know what is healthy therapy and healthy psychology. And if you're hearing like a weird thing, uh, I don't know about like an ink block test, um, you might not really think that it's helpful or scriptural too. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Yeah. And I think even somewhere along the line, and maybe you know history behind it, but there became this narrative in the church in some ways, I think that it was like holier, like you were seen as holier if you were above the, that humanity or like look down on that humanity in a way of like, <clears throat> oh, oh, I'm experiencing anxiety. Well, that's just from the devil and I just need to be more full of faith. And so it's better if I just don't even address it. I don't deal with it and I just come up higher or whatever the phrase is. Yeah, a lot of that comes from well, I mean, you've already described it, but that whole thing of if you're more spiritual, then you supersede the natural, which what you're talking about is very true. Jesus did everything as a full, he was 100% God, but he was also 100% mm -hmm. man. And really yeah. he had no, it, just for lack of better words, he had no supernatural ability at all until the Holy Spirit came on him because he did no miracles until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Right. So it was the Holy Spirit that empowered but he was still completely 100%. And that's where uh, particularly physical healing, like in terms of mm -hmm. therapy, I think that may have come a little bit later. Actually, I think it was just all attributed to demons for the longest time. Mm -hmm. But in terms of physical healing, it was during that the early 1900s that Pentecostal movement really started pushing toward it, taking medicine is from the devil. You can't take an aspirin or you're, <laughs> <laughs> the aspirin may as well be a, de a demon that you're taking kind of thing. Oh my gosh, yeah. And it kind of culminated with John Alexander Dowie because he was the one who founded Zion, Illinois, where it was illegal to be a doctor. And you could, there was no, if you could not own medicine or anything like that, then he actually had a really powerful that started because he had a lot of healing in his ministry, but he went so overboard with it and he was idolized so much. He actually, if you look up pictures of him now, he's dressed up in all these really crazy robes and stuff like an old, old school prophet. And it's because he started to believe that he was Elijah, the return of Elijah. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's you can still go to Zion, Illinois. Of course, it's been overrun by the the heathens now, as they would say. (laughs) (laughs) They allow those those heathen doctors. Those heathens. Yeah, all those heathens. (laughs) Which I don't believe. I'm just that's just what they would have said. Right. Right. uh, So, but yeah, a lot of it comes from that. Of if you're holy enough then you won't have any physical, any physical mm. issues, which I always find ironic. I believe in healing. I've seen it, but I also know the vast majority of faith healing preachers all died from sickness. The majority mm. of them. Wow. Catherine wow. Kuhlman, the, she was a legend and she died of an enlarged heart. Wow. So it just, it, they really? all had some, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, rem- I remember hearing a, a speaker once share that God is not opposed to doctors. God is just opposed to being number two. Mm-hmm. And Ooh, that's good. Anything that comes before him, he has a problem with, but anything mm-hmm. that comes after him, like in, in alignment, he it's okay. Like within right. reason, of course, you know, but when it, when it comes to medicine and doctors, like it doesn't have to contradict faith. Mm-hmm. Um, like my, so my fiance is, he's a science major. He oh, loves what? science. He's going to school for psychiatry right now. He wants to be a psychiatrist. Um, he's absolutely in love with the practice. And we talk about it all the time, like how science can't um, prove God or prove he doesn't exist, but it can measure his movement. And we mm. can see what God is doing in, in, in an observable way in a human life or in an organism life or in, in an environment. You can observe where he is and what he's doing. And I love that about science. That's so cool. And I, yeah, that's awesome because I think science, you know, it is God, God created the earth. He created all of it. So yeah, it's a reflection of him. Um, and we can see him moving in that. Yeah. So I, I want to kind of circle back a little bit because you, I, I have a question from a comment you made earlier. You mm-hmm. said that uh, because you're a Christian therapist. So how do you you obviously don't want to just slap a verse on it, like you said, but you also said you have clients who they hate God. So mm-hmm. how do you integrate Christian therapy? What is the difference between Christian therapy and worldly therapy, other than the the weird Freudian stuff that you were mentioning earlier? <laughs> well, maybe I only do a little bit from Freud. That's only about like defense mechanisms. That's, I think, the only solid thing he ever really did. Um, uh, the other stuff I'm like, I think you had your own stuff you needed to work through, buddy, but, (laughs) um, that's my philosophy. Um, it is really tricky and I do it fearfully and prayerfully. I don't know if I have a, a great formula for it, to be honest. Um, I think one thing I have to take into consideration is since I'm a professional counselor and I'm licensed through the state of Pennsylvania, I am like bound by the ethics of that. Um, so I can't impose my values, um, but at the same time, I work in a church setting. Um, they're walking in a church, um, so there is some like acknowledgement, whether maybe they're not as mindful of it that it is like Christian and faith-based counseling that they're receiving. Um, if they hate God, if they don't want to do anything uh, with church, I have to meet them where they're at with that. But it's kind of like stealthy triage um, a little bit, where maybe we explore their wounds um, and the lies that came out of that and like the judgments that they have towards others, towards themselves. Um, and sometimes I'll just, I'll use phrases like, let me put this on the table. You can decide to take this off or not. And we don't have to dive into this. You don't want to. 
um, but through their wounds and their lies and their judgments, I'll say, how much of this has impacted how you see God? Do you want to explore that? Um, and so I just have to really um, be mindful of like what kind of questions I'm asking and how I'm asking, be really aware of where they're at, if they can handle that question or not. Um, and a lot of times those that come in that hate God, don't want anything to do with church or just not ready, have some sort of faith background. So um, they know a little bit about like their wounds and their anger or their feelings towards God. And they know a little bit about um, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Um, but yeah, I think I really just have to be prayerful and discerning and be aware of where my client is at um, and be very stealthy in what kinds of questions I'm asking. Um, and that's the best that I can do with meeting where they're at. And if they don't want to, if they don't pick that off the table, um, we don't revisit it unless, you know, I feel like there is some sort of small little crack again in the future. Um, but I view it as triage um, that hopefully if we're done counseling, they've got what they needed out of therapy, that God will have their hearts more open because of the, the healing or the ways that they've coped through something hard um, down the road. And I, I do pray for that on my way to work and my way after or my way home after work. I pray, God, they're in your hands. I pray that you would bring them to you um, and I trust you with them. And that's about the best that I can do with that while also respecting the ethics that I'm bound to. Mm, that's great. I recently heard someone talk about <clears throat> evangelism and they said something I've never heard someone say before and it stuck out to me and I think it applies here as well. They were talking about when you wanna share your faith with someone who does not share the same faith, you have to acknowledge that their identity and their belief system are entangled. And so for you to approach someone and tell them that their beliefs are wrong, um, mm -hmm. it can be misconstrued as who you are is wrong. And so you attack their identity with their belief system. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh. So she talked about how, <clears throat> how important it is to in a way, suspend your belief system because you're asking them to suspend their belief system and to yeah. meet in like a diplomatic way to listen, to hear each other's stories, to share amicably. And if, like you said, to take it off the table if it's something they want to take with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And I think that's what I would see a lot is coming against someone's narrative about how they see themselves, what they've developed out of their wounds and their trauma. Um, and I know that it's distorted what they've mm -hmm. developed, but it's served them for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, and it is hard to come against that because that's, you know, what protects them, what helps them survive. But you have to be really gentle about that. Um, mm -hmm. I really like that, that quote. That's really good. So for you in, in your practice, as you've been working with people over these years, what do you find to be the the number one thing that keeps people obviously every case is going to be complex and it's its own thing but is right. there a common thread throughout these cases that kind of common for just for example for me just in ministry preaching and, and talking to people the the one thing i keep finding over and over again especially in the generation right now the younger generation is anxiety it comes up all the time people are always talking about yeah. anxiety do you find yeah. anything like that in in the people you talk to 
Yeah, I mean, my demographic is definitely skewed. Um, uh, but yeah, I work with a lot of anxiety. Um, and I think post pandemic too, it's I mean, I mean, one thing that I'm kind of cognizant of, and I'll get to your question a little bit more, Alan, um, but that I'm seeing so many people now post pandemic. And I think some of that is part of the revival that's happening because mm -hmm. God's doing transformational redeeming work in them, um, I think to equip them and he's made them more aware of their heart issues and their wounds. Um, so I think that's really cool. But I do see a lot of anxiety. Um, I think that's like a bulk of what I work with, to be honest. Um, and it's something that like, tries to control a person and bully a person. And it just really wreaks havoc on their life. Um, I think what I would say, like in general, like I'm working with all the time is shame. Hmm. Um, I think it's shame and I see it almost like an iceberg. Like shame is at the bottom of the iceberg and it's always, always an identity statement. Like I am a failure. I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable, I'm not good enough, like always those things. And then I see that feel the feelings. And then on the top and the surface is really like the anxiety, the depression, um, maybe some other mental illness. And that's not to say that there isn't a neurobiological thing at play for a mental illness, but I think it certainly makes it more cyclical and difficult and controlling for a person if they're not tackling the shame that's there. And nine times out of 10, when I say that I think shame's fueling this for you, they're bawling, they're bawling because I think shame is just the greatest agent of evil and it keeps people stuck and it's very subtle and sneaky. Um, and that I think is what I'm working with most of the time. What, what's the root of shame? It is it I know whenever I think of shame the first thing I think of is they did something bad that they feel bad about but you're saying that they say that they're failures so is shame also they haven't accomplished their goals what what is the root of that mm -hmm. from my perspective I think like their guilt is different than their shame I think like guilt says I made a mistake and I think shame says I am a mistake Hmm. Um, and it becomes more an identity and it can feel like guilt, but it's actually shame. Um, and it keeps them, you know, stuck, insecure, defensive, um, lying to protect an image, um, all those things. What the root of shame is, it's hard to say, but I would say like wounding and trauma. Um, and, and honestly, just being a human that gets hurt, um, and, a lot of times if with that iceberg, I will like draw this iceberg for my clients on a whiteboard. Um, and I will say your shame started somewhere. Now, some of that is just living in a fallen, broken world, but um, what trauma did you experience to make you think this way, make you believe this, make you um, feel identified by this statement? And, you know, normally it's, it's very specific, difficult, heavy trauma um, that happened for them or sometimes it's just like my dad was absent and how am I supposed to feel good enough when my dad was absent um, 
And so there's a lot of, I think, unique reasons for a lot of unique people that creates their certain shame narrative. Um, but from my perspective, it's usually starting with trauma and then the enemy just knows how to use that. Mm-hmm. So what would you do or say for someone to give some practical tools for coping with shame or moving through it? Like if, if we have like viewers or, or listeners now that are thinking, I resonate with these phrases or I didn't realize that I was carrying this shame and, and anxiety, how, how would you address that for them or encourage them with it? Mm-hmm. Well, think about um, how you're, this is, sounds a little weird, but this is what I do in therapy. Um, think about how your body is storing shame because a lot of times that's where you're going to feel anxiety too. So, I mean, just pay attention to like, if you have a lot of heaviness in your shoulders, are you slouching a lot? It's really interesting. The research that speaks to, um, the fact that why we slouch and have these like positions so much is because we don't have like confidence and we don't have worth. Um, and so paying attention to that can help you kind of cope with it, correct it a little bit. Like I notice a lot throughout my day that I'm correcting my posture and then I'm reminded of my worth through that, which sounds really weird, but it just is a helpful thing. Um, I would also say, make sure that you are identifying your wounds, make sure that you're identifying your lies and make sure that you're identifying any like judgments that have come out of that towards yourself, towards others, and toward God, um, especially the one towards God. Um, because out of that is what flows healing um, and makes healing happen for your relationships with other people and how you, you view yourself. So I'm thinking if you have like an abandonment wound, um, you're going to have a judgment on God and it might sound different from person to person. But um, you know, bringing that, um, being aware of that judgment that might say, um, you know, if I fail, God will leave me, you know, Mm. something along those lines. Where does that come from? How did that get there? What's the evidence for that? What's the evidence against that? Um, Really be mindful of that and bring that to God. Because if you say, God, this is what I believe, he's going to show up and he's going to say, no, that's, that's not true. And that was never me. That may be more what you think about me because of what your dad or your mom did or someone else. Um, So I think really there are some like coping skills. There are some tools you can do like paying attention to your body, but really you have to dive into your, your core wounds and be more aware and mindful of them instead of mindless and automatic um, about them. So can I can I ask a question? I'm gonna ask a question for both of you because I I have very little ministry myself. I don't do much inner healing ministry. I'm not really that's not something I'm part of. I haven't studied these. You're very involved, and obviously you're a therapist, so there's a lot that you know that I have never even heard of in my life. So I have a question. As also, I, I'm pretty sure I'm significantly older than both of you, <laughs> and so I'm coming at it from a different perspective as well. It's just a number. Yes. Yes. So. Okay, I'm going to try and say this in the the most concise way that I can. At what point, and I'm not talking about children, children is childhood abuse, all that, that's very, very different. But as an adult, at what point is something trauma? And at what point is something you need to, a difficult thing that you need to go through that may hurt you, but if you don't go through it, you don't grow. Like for just for example, 
before found, I was part of another ministry. I was in YWAM and uh, I was, my leaders never believed in me. Like they, they were pretty rough on me for a decade. It was pretty bad. And for sure, I had a lot of emotional wounds and there was a lot of stuff that came out of that. But if I had not gone through that, I would not, I, I would not be who I am today, which mm -hmm. I like who I am today. I don't, I'm not depressed or anxious or anything like that. So I went through some pretty rough things in my twenties and that I won't go into all of it now, but basically my, my leaders who I wanted to be like, didn't believe in me. And because mm -hmm. of that, that became a driving force for, for me to overcome a lot of things. I really uh, had a lot of fear of man in me whenever I was growing up. I was, I was very much a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. And because of getting beat down so much, not physically, obviously, but getting verbally being told, you're not good enough, you can't make it for years and years and years, it kind of forced me to become stronger and break out of that people pleasing side of me and become who I am today, which obviously there's a lot of growth that needs to happen but I feel like I'm on the right path. And that only happened because of the difficult things that I went through. Mm -hmm. So, and, and again, this could be the old person in me, but I feel like a lot of times we run away from hard things that we need to go through. So, so for you two, that's my question is that, are you supposed to always run away from those things or how, when is it trauma or, and when is it something that you got to push through? Mm -hmm. I'll let you go first. Okay. Well, actually, the word trauma just means wound, if you think about in the original language. So we're always wounded and we're always um, having something that wounds us because of the world we live in um, and, and people and their free will. Um, so I, I'm not sure exactly like when is it trauma and when is it something else? Um, I think trauma just brings something that brings on a lot of anxiety um, would be considered, um, like, um, would have a root of trauma. Um, but you, you kind of asked two questions in there, right? Um, yeah, the kinda, second, in a way, yeah. Yeah. The second one I heard was, um, like, should we always run away from something? When should we like face something? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't think we should ever run away from our suffering. Like, I don't think it's good for us. Like, I don't think it benefits us at all. Um, now that doesn't mean you have to deal with your suffering, like all or nothing. Um, and God is gentle and he's a gentleman. So he's going to be, um, so patient and kind with you in your, your working through your suffering and your hardships and the healing he wants to come out of that. Um, but I think the Beatitudes give us a real like guidance towards that. Like, and I share this with a lot of people because what I see is like, um, like an unwillingness to face their trauma and their suffering a lot of times granted, cause it brings them a lot of distress and anxiety to do so. Um, but God, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And I love that Beatitude that verse because you cannot be comforted by God until you face the mourning that you have to do. That's it's kind of like a causation there. Um, if I face my suffering, maybe this sounds crude, like some of the hellish things I've experienced, then there is a promise there that God will be right there comforting you 
um, and you will have comfort and I believe healing and transformation through that. And I think that's all throughout scripture too. So, and then there's research that backs that up. Like um, the more that you avoid something, the greater your anxiety is going to be about it. So you're going to have like a huge cycle of anxiety that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger if you're avoiding what needs to be addressed. It's a big thing I say to a lot of my clients um, is if you um, avoid what needs to be addressed, it's going to keep controlling you and you're going to keep being bullied by the things that you hate and the things that you don't want anymore in your life. So if you face the depths of your suffering, what's happened to you, it's going to really suck. And I can't sugarcoat it to you that it's going <laughs> to feel good. But long term, it's going to be so rewarding. So I think I would agree with you, Alan, that like, I am who I am because of the suffering I've gone through and who God says I am through that suffering and what he's done through it. And he is the one that uses me in such specific ways because of my suffering. Um, and I have to always constantly be addressing um, the wounds and the trauma and the suffering so that I can greater glorify God. Um, and I like who I am because of that. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. And it's specifically that that latter part that you talked about, the cyclical um, problem that occurs whenever we don't face it. And so when you're talking about like, what is trauma versus just a difficult situation? I think it comes down to each person and the perspective. And um, I remember seeing a, a like image graphic once in a teaching and it was two dogs going through a mud puddle and one was a chihuahua and one was a like a labrador or something so one was real tiny and he was like trying to swim through the mud <laughs> and he's like choking on the mud but the labrador it like barely covered his paws you know and he's just like i don't understand what what the big deal is like i'm fine you should be fine too and the yeah. child was like i'm drowning here so like they went through the same thing but because they were different they had a different experience mm. so i think it comes to that and what I'm, what I heard from like your experience is what it brought out of you was a drive to face it and to deal with it. Like you just explained grace. And I think that's probably why it didn't turn into a long cyclical wounding anxiety ridden situation, but because you faced it and allowed, you know, God to meet you in that place, it, it brought something glorious out of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. I get that. Yeah. Cause it, you're, you're right. And there are people I know who have been in the exact same situation that are in, in a sense, they totally left the ministry. A lot of them totally left the faith. Hmm. And so, yeah, that, that's a good, I like that. That's a good explanation. Yeah. I think it goes back to that quote from your interview, Katie, that and I, I'm paraphrasing a ton, but just like what we choose to depend on um, is going to bring some things for us. And so if we're depending on God in the face of our suffering and our trauma, um, it's going to bring a lot of reward. Um, but if we don't, we're, we're going to see those cycles, um, happen. Um, and I think I really like that picture you shared too, because I think, you know, just from what I've studied in psychology, uh, every person is so unique, like, like our DNA is different from person to person. So like the outworkings of that are just going to be, each person has different resilience. Each person has different skills. Each person has different coping strategies. Um, people are very unique and highly individualized. So um, what one person or one chihuahua can go through, another Labrador <laughs> might go through it differently. 
Yeah. So I have a question. Um, my pastor's wife and I were just talking about this yesterday. Uh, if I, I'm trying to think how to phrase the question. I guess whether you've seen this or not, and if so, what you think the origin of it is. Uh, so I'm seeing more and more now in our culture, there's this trauma focus where everyone's like, I'm traumatized, I'm traumatized, I'm traumatized. Um, or they joke and they're like, oh, like, did you just get traumatized by that? Or, you oh. know, so it's like become this huge thing. And mm -hmm. I'm seeing some people get stuck and caught up in it. And it's becoming like the ironic joke that becomes part of you, you know, that they don't yep. mean to. So if you're seeing that, what do you think about it? What, where's it coming from? How do we handle it? I do see that a lot and I don't like it. <laughs> I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it becomes a part of them. Um, I think especially for like my Gen Z clients, um, it's like identity, like my mm -hmm. anxiety, my depression or my mental illness um, is my identity or my trauma is my identity. Um, who am I without this, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's a way for them to relate to their peers. It's a way for them to make jokes and um, be cynical, sarcastic. Um, but at the root of it, like you said, Katie, it is, it's just a part of them. And I think something that is idolized in American culture right now, maybe in other first world countries too, but um, I'm mostly, you know, I'm more familiar with how America responds um, to all these things. Um, but I think it's just become a huge identity. Where I see that coming from is just the pendulum like switching. Because I think in like my parents' generation and their gener their parents' generation, there were um, asylums and there were, people were ostracized and you know sent off if they had any mental illness or mental health struggles. Um, so they were very much isolated and there was so much stigma and shame around struggle. And so I think you know we as humans have a tendency to live in extremes um, and not have balance in how we look at things. Um, so I think this generation, Gen Z especially, has just gone from one side to the other um, in how they view mental health and trauma and mental illness um, and have just become identified by it. And it's like consuming them and it's all their focus is. Um, and so where to go from there and how to approach that, I think, is just keep being loud about who God says we are so that we can model that for other people. Because I think it goes back to like the challenging someone's narrative and how they see themselves is, is really hard to break. Uh, but if we keep modeling, you know, um, who we are in Christ, we keep modeling and being loud about um, who God says we are. And it's not our struggle. It's not any mental health struggle. It's not our trauma. Um, I think hopefully that will model to this generation that that's not who they are either. Um, and it's just, it's just a part of the organ in their skull. It's not anything to do with who Jesus says they are. Hmm. That's good. Well, hey, tell us about your podcast. Yeah. Um, so it's called the whole mind podcast. Um, and it's kind of a play on words, uh, because we want someone to feel like they have a whole mind and we're talking about the whole mind. Um, and, uh, very passionate about understanding the brain and understanding 
um, why it does what it does, why someone might be struggling, because I think we name things to tame them. Um, when you understand how anxiety works, um, and maybe it's not demonic, or it's not always like, you know, like the enemy attacking you, and you can understand that this is kind of um, stress hormones overproduced in your body and creating some imbalance in your brain, I think you can understand and gain authority over that then too. Um, so that was my, my really, my big passion is just to have people understand what's going on in their brain. Um, and also for it to be a resource for pastors and leaders in the church um, to understand maybe who's in their congregation um, and how people respond to sermons and how people respond in ministry. Are they very reactive mm -hmm. and are they very sensitive and why is that happening? Um, or are they very isolating and withdrawn? And why is that happening? And just for pastors to know their congregation more um, so that they can also have authority about the things that their congregation um, is experiencing. Um, yeah, and I also want it to be a resource for my clients. If I don't get to talk about everything in session, here, go listen to this podcast. It's a familiar voice. Um, you get to hear my other friends talking to and we laugh and it's silly and it's fun. Um, and I always, always, always wanted to give someone hope. Um, and that's my, my biggest goal in life is to give people hope because that's when we will feel motivated to not be stuck anymore. Yeah, I know how powerful resources, good resources can be. Do you think, and this is just me, just because I always start going further and further with things whenever you talk about resources do you think that you'll make maybe books or workbooks or something like that for churches in the future some kind of packet that they could put together to use small group studies something like that i love it i love your movements too katie just like huh? <laughs> yeah Great. let's go <laughs> yeah i i definitely have a passion for that um and i don't know what that looks like um and like, as far as timing, God certainly knows that. Um, I just firmly believe that if he's put it on my heart, then he wants to do something with it. Um, and my, my biggest motivation is to glorify him and everything I'm doing. So I do struggle a little bit with like imposter syndrome where I'm like, I don't know if I should be the one doing this, or I don't know, like, Maybe someone else could say that better. You got to get past that. You got to get past I know. I dealt I with know. that for so long. For so long, I'm telling you, I would always think, so, someone would, for example, I just finished a course called that I was taught online called Threads of Revival. And we're, this is the first one. I'm, I'm launching an e-course on Monday. And for me, it's a long time coming because I love church history. And a lot of it has to do with revival history and church history. And for years, I never pulled the trigger on putting it together because I always went back to other people have done, have already done, and they've done it way better than I can do it. But Roberts Lierden and all these people who are church history, the legends and revival history books, I can't do, but at the same time you bring in that, it can't hurt to have one more voice. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, exactly. And someone, and someone will identify with you that mm -hmm. isn't going to identify with whoever else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and that's what I've been learning this past like year, year and a half, especially. Um, it's kind of like this breath prayer for myself where it's like, I believe God help my unbelief with this, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm, I've been like exposing myself to things and like 
doing a whole bunch. Like the podcast was a big thing for that. And like, maybe we have 50 listeners, but that's fine. And that's, you know, the audience God wants us to have. And, um, you know, and I'm teaching at LBC right now. So um, it's like, well, maybe someone else could do that better. But it's like, no, God's put this in my life and he's put it on my heart for a reason. And and something I've always heard is that even if it just connects with like one person, isn't that like kingdom work too? Yeah. Um, you know, and some of, I think this like imposter syndrome is like challenging, like America's influence on me, you know, where it's like, everything has to be huge and like the American dream and you have to have this huge following influence. And I just, I don't think that's the culture of God. Um, so yeah. And, you know, I grew up, I, I had to, this is one thing I had to deal with years ago was I grew up, I was homeschooled and I only ever wanted to preach. I've never wanted to do anything other than, than be a preacher. Yeah. And so my mom, my whole life, part of my curriculum that I grew up with was all of these biographies and stories of these preachers who they'd be preaching to crowds of a million people or a hundred thousand people. And, and I, for me, I think I've preached in a church of 500 once kind of thing. Most of the churches I preach in are 150, 200, maybe 300. And so for a long time, I felt like a failure for the first mm. many years in ministry. I thought I'm nowhere near these other guys. But then I, I came to realize the problem with only having crowds all the time is you never really have, well, I can't say never, but it's hard to have a direct, real, profound impact on a single person. Mm-hmm. And so I have discovered, and I actually have purposefully tried to go smaller and smaller and focus on one person, two people, because then you really have that deep impact on people that's long term. Mm-hmm. I can listen to a really famous preacher all day, and there's a maybe some teaching level impact on me. But if I don't have that person there giving me advice, or I can't ask them questions. I've gone to, I'm not a conference hopper by any, any means, but I've gone to a couple conferences that you can't even talk to those guys. You can't even, you can't call them. You need people that you can talk to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're so designed for relationship and like, I mean, just to have like depth and connection is so hardwired into us and you can't really get that if you're just preaching to a crowd. I mean, that's not impossible, like you said, but it, it's very rare. Um, and so being like hands-on and like parallel with other people in life is I think so crucial and and who knows the ripple effect of that and what they take from that too yeah yeah Yeah, and you go back to to some people a lot of people refer to the person who who brought Billy Graham to the Lord or the other day I was reading about a man the man who essentially brought Martin Luther to the Lord who launched the whole reformation that Martin Luther said that if this man had not discipled him because he was, I guess today we would call it OCD. Martin Luther was about as extreme as you can get because Martin yeah. Luther was so afraid of being in sin. He would spend six to eight hours a day in the confessional. Mm-hmm. Every tiny little defect in his life, he'd be, oh, I forgot to cut my fingernails today. And he would confess it. And so yeah. much so that the, the priests got really mad at him and told him to stop coming in and confessing all of these nonsense that he was convinced he had. And it was this older monk that came and started discipling him, telling him, look, there is a thing called grace. (laughs) There's grace. And it was because of that monk that he, the reformation started. Of course, most people have never even heard of this monk because everyone knows Martin Luther, but Martin Luther says if this monk 
had not approached him and taken the time to work him through all of it, he said he would have gone straight to hell because he didn't mm. believe in grace. Everything was works and he just did not understand. So that there's, there's yeah. a lot of power in that. Yeah. I, I love thinking about Martin Luther, um, just tagging off that a little bit actually, because I mean, I know we probably have to wrap up soon, but, um, because I personally do have OCD, um, as well. And so I, I look at Martin Luther's life a lot. Um, and most of my obsessions and compulsions revolve around like scrupulosity, like that term, of um, like religious themes, um, and stuff like that. And I think, you know, again, an iceberg picture, um, is that like, here's this, uh, like, here's this disorder, but here's what's underneath it is like perfectionism and need for certainty and control and, um, and then the shame that's underneath that. And I see that in like Martin Luther's life. Um, and I see like the outworkings of how like him learning about grace and who God really is, um, just like transformed a lot of that. Um, and I think, I think that's what I'm really passionate about too, is when I'm working with mental illness for myself and for other people is that God is not who I think he is and my thoughts and my feelings and my, you know, um, struggles are not above God. Um, God is above it all. And I constantly bring those things to the submission of who he is. Um, and I love being able to like help people with that and teach them about that. So, yeah. That's amazing. I think I have one more question if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Um, so early on, I don't even, it was right maybe before we even started the podcast, but you had shared a little bit about compassion um, and learning to see the woundedness in other people who wounded you. Um, and I just wanted to see if you would touch a little bit more on that, on the role that compassion or love plays in our healing journey. Mm. I mean, I think it's just so crucial um, when you can see people as people instead of um, seeing them through like a victim mindset. Um, I think um, having that compassion and that love for other people what it really stems from mm -hmm. is not having an easily offended heart. Um, mm -hmm. And that's really hard to do with trauma uh, for a lot of people because we become vengeance seekers and justice seekers and very critical of other people. We almost have our own gavel and we're ready to hammer it down on the, the slightest offense. Um, but it's essentially this idea of unforgiveness. Um, if we do seek after that vengeance like crazy, um, if we have unforgiveness in our hearts, it's like swallowing a poison pill and expecting someone else to die from it. It's just gonna hurt us a whole lot more than it's gonna hurt the other people around us. Um, and it's gonna spread to so many different things in your life. Um, and there's research that says that actually creates like um, different other like heart struggles and brain struggles and like stress in your life too, that can cause you to die early. Um, so there's just some ways that we manifest stuff physically too. Um, so I think if we can work on forgiving others, if we can work on, um, seeing them, like how Jesus sees them, 
he doesn't, you know, he doesn't throw stones. He doesn't, um, he's not um, keeping them defined by their struggles and their sins. If we can, if we want to be like Jesus, that is the path, that is the goal. Um, and so if I can drop my stones and be like Jesus and see them as broken, as hurting, as needing, having their own struggles, um, one, I'm going to feel more free. Um, and two, I get to be a really incredible witness um, because I'm not bogged down by vengeance and justice and the, some of those things that come with a victim mindset. Um, and so somehow, some way, God's always given me that compassion. Um, and so I'm really like, I don't know, thankful. I don't think that was something that came on my own fully. Um, but I love being able to model that for other people and I guess that grace towards other people, which, you know, my name always <laughs> comes full circle. Um, and so, yeah, um, it's hard for a lot of people. It doesn't come easy for a lot of people. But if you're able to start the process of forgiveness, um, you're going to find so much freedom and you're going to have compassion and love for other people. But really, it's going to reflect the longing that we all have is to be connected to God and be like Jesus. Um, and you're going to, yeah, you're going to have your longings fulfilled in that way. Oh, so good. Yeah. I think it's definitely a, a crucial part of the healing journey. Like you said, um, I know it can't always be integrated early on. Like we don't want to spiritually bypass and like, just jump to that point. You have to go through it to get to that place, but mm -hmm. it's beautiful when you can see that come, come to that place. Yeah, and the analogy I use with a lot of my clients is it's like a train um, and you start somewhere like the head of the train, the conductor, you start somewhere and that's what we're called to as Christians. I think about it in a Christian worldview, you're called to release, you know, God, I forgive this person. But then you have all these other like parts of the train till you get to the caboose um, and it, it, depending on the train, it can be really long. <laughs> Um, so there is an emotional process that you have to keep working through with forgiveness too. Um, and God will be faithful to complete that till you reach the caboose. Um, but the emotional process is acting out, um, out of faith, what you prayed and released to God so that you can continue to find, um, that freedom for yourself. That's so great because I, I had had a teaching where they explained using that same exact analogy and they talked about how, um, faith first, like if you, if you put faith in the conductor's role, then your feelings will follow where your faith goes. Mm -hmm. And so like, if you, if you align yourself with the truth and you hold fast to it and you choose to put your faith into it, then just like you said, those train cars will follow it. Like they're not suddenly going to go into anarchy and be like, unhook me. I'm not doing that. Like it doesn't happen. <laughs> like <laughs> they're just going to go right in line, just whoop right down the track. And It'll follow suit. But if you put your feelings first, like if you put those middle cars at the caboose first and your conductor's at the back and the conductor's trying to push it all, it, it's not going to get anywhere very fast. It's going to get ruined, basically. Yeah, and absolutely. Love that analogy. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah. And I think feelings tell us something. They're good information, mm -hmm. but they're not good drivers. Um, yes. And so just having maybe a non-judgmental approach to your feelings is like, God, what is this telling me? What do you want to do with this? Um, where do you want to take this? 
even if I don't feel great about bringing that to God or asking him, you know, it's good to collect that information and he'll give you even more insight to what information your feelings are telling you, but they're not great drivers or decision makers. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Grace, for your time, for for sharing your story with us. And uh, I know this is going to be a big a big blessing for for a lot of people who who listen and watch this over all the different platforms and uh it's really it we've asked a lot of questions and talked about a lot of things that i know a lot of people wonder about and it's it'll it'll help explain a lot of things for for people mm-hmm. yeah yeah so thank you so much for coming and would you be comfortable praying for our viewers and listeners absolutely and before i do i just want to say thank you to for what you guys are doing um it's good step into what God puts on our heart, no matter what the outcome of that is. So yeah. That's right. Amen. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for Alan and for Katie. Um, You have certainly um, done so much through them. And I thank you for the good works that you started in them. And I just pray you continue to strengthen them, continue to give them wisdom and guidance um, and just be using them as instruments in your hands. And I pray for the listeners that are listening to this, God, whether it's this episode or another one, um, would you just speak directly to what they need to hear um, and give them the strength and the motivation and the wisdom to work on what you want them to work on. Ultimately, for your glory, God, um, help them to know that you are gentle, kind, um, and strong and faithful. Um, And I just pray, God, that you would continue to just have your favor on this podcast. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Yeah. All right, cool. Cool. Well, All right, we'll see you later. <laughs> All right, take care. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.